0: Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages.
1: My name is Steven. That's my amazing book-reading wife, Liberty.
0: And we're a married couple with different hobbies. And each week we try to bring the other person around to our side with the latest news in books and sports. And as you might have noticed, maybe not, I have a head cold. So I might sound weird, I might not sound weird. To me, I sound very odd.
1: I'm sad for your listeners that are like big book supporters, like some of my coworkers who have told me that they only listen to our podcast for the book things because you are great, Uh, that they're going to have to hear you sick and not in the sports episode because you didn't sound that sick in the sports episode.
0: The longer I've been talking, the worse I've been sounding, and we record them back to back, so this is going to be fun. Sorry, guys. But let's get into the book news. Jade City by Fonda Lee is being turned into a series with Peacock, which is one of those things I'm not sure I support, but it is becoming a thing.
1: Another television company trying to become a streaming company.
0: Right. And this is the first book in the Green Bone Saga, which came out in November of 2017. Book two came out last year in the fall, and book three is going to come out in 2021. It's basically what people are calling a godfather-esque novel about the jade trade in a world where jade gives certain people superhuman abilities.
1: So what you're saying is it's something I would totally be interested in?
0: I think you would, actually. I haven't read it, but I know people who have, and they just have glowing reviews about it basically it has a multi-generational blood feud with politics magic and kung fu and i said that would make for a great tv show right and david kaufstein will be executive producer along with dean george aris and breck eisner who is also going to be the director and like i said the last book of the trilogy is going to come out in fall of 2021 so you have time to read the series and then maybe watch the show before the 2021 release.
1: I doubt that seriously, but it depends on how long the books are, I guess.
0: They're decently sized. Like, they're not as long as Harry Potter at all. Thank the Lord. At least not the later Harry Potter books. <laughs> and yet again, we're going to discuss George R. R. Martin on this episode. Basically... He's recently had a discussion with someone who wrote a book about the behind the scenes of the HBO Game of Thrones show, and it's basically the book is discussing everything from the show pitch to the conclusion of the show. All right. And so he interviewed Martin about his least favorite scenes from Game of Thrones TV show. (laughs) And it's well known that Martin is finicky about historical accuracy, and I think that's part of the reason he takes forever to write.
1: Yeah, he his attention to detail is so minute that it's just going to take forever for anything for him to get done, so... Yeah,
0: but he spoke with James Hibbard, who's the author of this book, and said that his least favorite scene was one that wasn't actually in the books. It was something that was added in to the show. Go figure. And... It's the King Robert goes hunting scene, because apparently in the show he only goes with like a handful of people and goes hunting, but back in what would be that time frame...
1: It was like 40 or 50 people
0: that would go hunting. It would be possibly hundreds depending on how big of a nation you had because it was always this big to do and he wouldn't be walking he'd be riding a horse and a bunch of dogs and all this other stuff and that didn't fit into the budget at that point for game of thrones
1: because it was literally one of the first episodes of the show so right. yeah. They weren't quite popular yet.
0: And some people felt it was weird that his least favorite scene is something that wasn't even in the books. Like, why wouldn't you be more worried about something being poorly adapted versus just inserted? Right. And he said it felt reductive and that it was historically inaccurate. And I put that my question for him is, why aren't you stuck in a room writing?
1: (laughs) Why are you doing interviews? (laughs) You have things to finish and we're all angry. Get to it.
0: I mean, I'm not angry, but your quote-unquote fans are angry. Yes. What is Frenemies but for fans? It's like that.
1: Fanemies? Maybe. Uh, uh, That sounds weird, though.
0: Also sounds like there's a giant fan that sometimes shoots sparks at you or something. Yes. And Disney Plus is adding some diversity. They're going to be bringing the newest Marvel superhero to screen with Iman Vellani playing Mrs. Marvel okay this was apparently the first muslim superhero in marvel comics from 2014 yeah it's a canadian actress who's going to be playing the main character kamala khan miss marvel tells the story of kamala khan who is a pakistani american struggling with her self-worth and identity and she unlocks these shape-shifting powers that makes her realize she's not ordinary right During that whole thing, she also learned self-love and acceptance, which is a good message for anyone that age range.
1: Well, definitely.
0: It's also good to see the diversity there. I'm glad Disney's doing that.
1: I think Disney's trying more and more to not be old Disney, which was like completely racist and awful. Whitewashed. Yeah. Kudos for doing a thing you should have been doing this whole time, I guess. like
0: A step in the right direction is always good. Right. And then there was something that I had to laugh at when I read about it this week. And like, I feel bad for this author, but at the same time, you kind of jinxed yourself. And it's that Susie Dent had written a book about the etymology of certain words and like situations that created new words, like snackident, like uh, snackident, like it's an accident, but snacks and stuff like that. Yeah. So it... Tells a bunch of stories about words and the creation of words. But she titled the thing Word Perfect. And in the first round of printing, they accidentally printed an old draft. So there were a lot of mistakes. Before edits and things like and that. And errors.
1: Conveniently, spelling errors is one of the bigger things that yeah, they were having. Yeah,
0: giant causes. typos all over the place. And she said she found out about it just this past Thursday. And she was really upset.
1: Like I would be too. Well, yeah, it's like, how did the publisher make that error? Like, you print one copy of it to see what it looks like first, and then you look it through it and make sure that it's the right copy. Like, that's the that's what publishers do. And wow, that's somebody's losing their job. Like, yeah, without and a
0: doubt. her actual publisher, the guy John Murray came out and apologized. He said they're trying to urgently take care of this issue. And they're recalling all the earliest copies of the book, reprinting it with the correct draft this time, and trying to basically resolve the issue. But, I mean, it's kind of like it's out in the world now at this point. Yeah. I don't know that you're going to get all of it back.
1: Yeah. In my world, like, recalls are common. But, like, in the book world, I I don't think I've ever heard of them happening. I'm sure they do, but, like...
0: I haven't heard of it happening and like... There are times when a book's been edited to death, but then a reader will catch a typo or it'll say the, the, whatever. So you have multiple of the same word and I see that in books all the time. So it's not like stuff like that doesn't happen, but a complete different draft I've never seen.
1: I can totally grasp
0: that. So I just feel really bad for her. And like, she had no control over which draft they got printed. It's not
1: like she was sitting there with the publisher wall was printing the first draft and was like, yep, that's the one.
0: Right. So I feel really bad for her. The title just makes it ironic. Yeah. And the last bit of news I have is kind of political, but kind of related
1: i don't know
0: so a federal court ruled this week that the u.s is entitled to more than five million dollars from former national secretary agency contractor edward snowden and his book royalties is basically what they're suing him for a district court in virginia ruled on tuesday in favor of setting up a trust for future earnings from snowden's book so basically they're just suing him for all of his royalties Because in September of 2019, the U.S. government sued Snowden over his publication of Permanent Record, saying that the book violated non-disclosure agreements he had signed when working for the NSA and the CIA.
1: I feel like it's going to be pretty hard to collect on that just because of the fact that he's not in the United States. (laughs) Like, I guess
0: it's like whenever someone has a stalker or something, and like you really can't do anything about it, but you still have to go to the police about the situation, right? Because you need that to be sort of like a history of all this crap, yeah. Because eventually he's gonna slip up or slip out, or something's gonna happen, and they're gonna get him, yeah. What I thought was interesting about this is they could have sought to block the publication of the book right but instead they're like no you can publish it we're just going to take all your money
1: yeah i
0: thought that was very telling about the u.s government
1: (laughs) well like understand i understand both perspectives on the snowden thing obviously he did what he thought was right which was to release things that risked opsec and obviously growing up in a military town OPSEC is kind of an important thing. Like, it's not something you just spill the beans on. And as you are in the military, like...
0: I'm giving you a look right now. It's not an important thing. It's the most important
1: thing. Yeah.
0: That's the foundation for all military.
1: Right. And so, like, I'm on the fence about this. Like, it's good if you think what he did was good. If it's not, then... It's not like growing up in a military town. I have the tendency to lean to the not. Right. So like the fact that he's even writing a book, I I know it's more about like the situation that he's in currently with the United States is based on what it's supposed to be about. Right. It's not like a, he didn't write a fictional book he wrote based off of his life. Correct. And his experience. yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, the civil litigation is completely separate from his criminal charges. So I don't know if it's going to be easier to nail him on that stuff versus the criminal charges. Right. I think it all just depends but I don't know. The whole thing's a mess.
1: To say the least.
0: <laughs> but that was all the book news for the week. I didn't do a tag or new releases because I did the new releases last week and I didn't do a tag because we're going to be discussing at the end of the podcast the Order of the Phoenix movie to book adaptation and I told myself to take minimal notes and I had three pages of notes in the first half hour so we're gonna just um not do the middle section and move on right so for what I've been reading for the week the first one is a mystery thriller kind of novel it's The Guest List by Lucy Foley. It came out in June in the US and it's been very popular and everyone's had an opinion about it. Like some people think the ending ruins the book. Some people love it no matter what. I rated it 3.75 stars, which is weird and very rare for me when it comes to mystery thrillers, especially adult mystery thrillers. Right. Right. I think I loved the book up until the last 40 pages, and that's where it lost, like, a star and a quarter. So, I don't know, because... It is a closed circle mystery taking place on an island off the coast of Ireland. And it's basically these two, like, B or C list celebrities are getting married. And what you're finding out throughout the novel is they're not quite what they seem. Okay. And everyone's lives are sort of interconnected in weird ways that kind of don't really happen in real life. So suspension of disbelief would definitely be necessary if you're going to read this. All right. But the person who actually does the murder was my problem with the end of the novel because there are so many people who have motive to murder this person and the one who does it is the one I feel has the least solid case for doing it gotcha and maybe if there had been better breadcrumbs laid along the way I could have gotten by with that better but I just didn't jive with that at all so it decreases the ratings but still almost a four-star book for me which is a shock for an adult mystery so
1: (laughs) because your your scale is very biased to a certain type of book (laughs)
0: Well, just with adult mysteries, I find it relies on a lot of the things that I don't like. It relies on unreliable narrators, and it relies on people. It relies on people who are having memory problems, or drinking problems, or alcohol problems, or.
1: They're all adult things.
0: Well, I mean, it's not necessarily the fact that it's an adult thing. It's just if you're an unreliable narrator, I don't want you as my narrator.
1: All right.
0: I want someone I can trust. What I'm reading. Right, because that doesn't feel like a mystery at that point that just feels like deception a lack
1: of information
0: <laughs> right and so I feel like if you want to do a good mystery I need to have breadcrumbs but not be able to grasp them well enough until you tell me the thing right and that's not what happens with unreliable narrators
1: one day I'll read a book with one and then I'll be like Ah, I hate it too
0: good and then we can hate it together. Yes,
1: as a couple, like couples do.
0: And then I read an anthology of vampire stories. It's called Vampires Never Get Old, Tales with Fresh Bite. It's by multiple authors. I listed them all out last week, so if you want to, you can check that or check out the Goodreads for it. It was released at the end of September, so I got on it pretty quick, about a week after it came out. The average rating I gave it was 3.34 stars overall for the collection, but there were some stories I really loved, some I disliked, and, but most of them are the middle of the road, and that's the way most anthologies work because it's a wide range of authors and writing styles, and it depends on what the reader likes and what the editors did with the story and stuff like that. But my favorite story, no one will be surprised to learn, came from Victoria Schwab. It was called First Kill, and I rated that story four stars. The worst story was Mirrors, Windows, and Selfies by Mark Oshiro, which I rated 2.5 stars. So even then, it's like, I didn't hate the worst story that I read. I just didn't like it. So, it's still a good thing, especially if you're missing vampires like most people are nowadays.
1: But why? Why miss vampires? I just don't understand. Just
0: subtract Stephanie Meyer from your history of vampires and you'll understand why people miss vampires.
1: Yeah. Is it that easy?
0: Yes. But... I liked it because at the end of every story, you had a page of the editor sort of breaking down what had just happened in the story. Like, so-and-so discussed this aspect of vampires, and it comes from this story or that story or whatever, and so that was interesting. On top of that, you had disabled vampires, vampires of color, you had slayer stories, you had a bunch of different mythologies about vampires explored. So that was a lot of fun.
1: Cool. So it was like a different deep delve into the vampire storyline. Yeah. In ways that like you're not used to seeing. To say. And
0: while some of the stories did lean into a romantic plot, even those didn't just rest on a romantic plot. There was other stuff going on. Right. They had their own desires and their own conflict and issues. So that's good. Still pretty good. And then the last book I managed to read, I didn't think I would get to fit it in, but I flew through this book, was A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. I rated it four stars. It's a backlist book from 2019, so it's not that old. But it's basically about a girl who solves a cold case in her town. And I think the reason it didn't get a higher rating for me doesn't actually have to do so much with the plot or storytelling. It's that... I don't think this author lived in a small town, a true small town, because...
1: As somebody who has lived in a small town?
0: Right. Like, how many secrets get exposed during her case is just impossible for a small town to contain all of those.
1: It's like that everybody should have known those things already about you.
0: Or there should have been some hint of it at a minimum. And so like this is supposed to be a very small town and yet there's a heap of secrets. And I understand that was done because you have to have red herrings in any good mystery because otherwise you're relying on stuff like unreliable narrators. Which if we
1: go back to we hate. Yes.
0: (laughs) And so I still really liked it. Yeah. I liked what the answer ended up being for the mystery. I liked seeing how she went through with it. And I like how Originally, it was just a school project, and then as she went on, it got scarier and darker and creepier, and it was a perfect vibe for Fall if you like mysteries. I don't even really like mysteries, and I gave this four stars, and I think what we're discovering is that I like YA mystery thrillers, but adult, I don't, because adult tends to lean more on, well, she was drunk, so she doesn't remember, you know, stupid stuff like that. Right. And this was just really well done, and I think there were a couple of breadcrumbs that I wish had been laid before the turn at the end of the novel, but at the same time, I think if they had gone too far down that road, it would have been like a neon sign leading you to that, so maybe this was the right answer. But I feel like the author did a really good job with turning you in one direction and then giving you another piece of evidence to go, oh, maybe it's not them and it's someone else. So you're constantly working through the case as you're reading it, which I liked.
1: Yeah, that is something that you've expressed that you enjoyed previously. So yeah.
0: There is one thing that I'm going to give a trigger warning for for people because this did come out of nowhere for me. So if you don't want to spoiler skip ahead if you don't mind then i'll go ahead and tell you there is an animal that gets killed in the story and It has to do with them being threatened like you need to close this case or you'll never get your dog back and the dog dies and stuff like that. And then
1: I'm definitely not okay with that.
0: And we're definitely not okay with that. I think that's definitely part of the decreased star rating because I don't do animal neglect or injury. I don't do child neglect or injury and that's just stuff I don't like. Yeah. So if that's something that you also don't like, possibly skip it unless you're in the right headspace for it.
1: Definitely a recommendation, then, if that's the case.
0: And then we'll get on to what I'm going to try to read this next week, if I can. I've got a NetGalley arc that I want to read. It's called Meet Me at Fur Tree Lodge, so that's really switching gears. It's by Rachel Dove, and it's about a girl who seems to have her life all together until she has a skiing accident. And then her fiancé leaves her, she loses her job, and she's got to kind of pull herself back up. And it's going to be a cute little romance, but it's really short. It's less than 200 pages, so it's more like a novella than anything. Okay. But I kind of need something to break up all the mystery and, like, dark stuff I read last week. So... Right. That'll be good to be, like, a palate cleanser before I jump into Lock Every Door by Riley Sager, which is another mystery. <laughs> It's a backlist from 2019. I don't know a lot about this, so I'll need to be corrected if I'm wrong. Riley Sager has two mysteries that are kind of similar. And so I believe this one is about a woman who is house-sitting for someone, but there are certain rules she has to follow when she's doing that. Right. And it's like a smart home, and so it's either... A haunted house or something weird within the house is happening but i don't know if i said it came out in 2019 so it's still pretty new okay and then the last book i want to read next week is a torch against the night by sabata here it's the second book in an ember in the ashes i'm rereading the whole series before the last book comes out in december so that'll be fun yeah I'm enjoying rereading it because I binge read all three books in like a week last year, and it all got fuzzy. I can't separate what happened in what book. Yeah. So it'll be nice to be able to separate everything out.
1: I think you were talking a little bit, touched on that last week, just a hair. So
0: that's under my normal minimum page count for the week, but since I have a head cold, I think that's okay.
1: I, I think that's probably safe.
0: I might not even get all the way through *An Ember in the Ashes*. It. Or A Torch Against the Night, which is the second book in the An Ember in the Ashes series. Because I just don't feel great.
1: It's a pretty good reason not to
0: overdo it. But you have finally watched the Order of the Phoenix movie.
1: Oh, that's the noise I make because... You enjoyed
0: it that much.
1: I enjoyed... So again, like so far, like all the movies, I've actually enjoyed the movie if it was just the movie and there was no book adaptation of it.
0: I will say... It's a good movie. It is not a faithful adaptation.
1: No. It's a disaster. It's a train wreck (laughs) in adaptation comparisons. Yeah. So, ah, the noise I make as we go over it. It just starts wrong and continues wrong the entire movie. So, if... If you've read the book and you're hoping it's the same, just get that out of your head because it's not a thing.
0: Well, there are some issues that are throughout all the movies. The first being the timeline's always wacky. It doesn't go correctly no matter what movie. I think one, the first movie, is the most faithful adaptation that we have.
1: It's the closest for accuracy anyways, yeah.
0: For accuracy and timeline. But also across all the movies... They're wearing robes with the colors and the house emblems. I wasn't going to bring that up because clearly that's
1: a a problem. That's just going to be
0: across the board So get that out of the way.
1: But, like, even at at the very first scene, like, it's just all wrong. Like, Harry doesn't get into a a skirmish with... The whole gang. The whole gang of kids. As well, too, they're walking through what, like, in my mind, based on the way it's set in the book, a much larger park. Yeah. The sun is setting already, so, like... You can't really see where Harry is, but Harry can see them well Well,
0: Well, it's late at night because Dudley's about to go home for the night. Right. In and, the book.
1: And then, like, the Dementor scene.
0: Well, you're completely bypassing the fact that it's Harry's all not eavesdropping on the news yeah. in the flower beds in the movie. Yeah. you're.
1: It's, it's just, it's a mess. You're not hearing the apparition pops from... Uh, Mundungus.
0: Mundungus is just ripped out of the whole thing. He's ah, I not... He
1: he wasn't even present. Yeah. like So uh, which is too bad because like there's some funny scenes between him and the twins later on in the book. Right. Yeah. But yeah. It, I don't know. It was a, such a bad adaptation. But the Dementor scene you have them going down what looks like a flood channel more or less instead of an alleyway between houses which underneath
0: is, a road. Yeah. In the it, movie. It,
1: it looks like something that we have in California when we get flash floods where all the water goes through that flood channel, and like that's that's what it looked like to me at least, and and it's just like uh, that's not right.
0: And I really didn't like the shaky camera work for the Dementor scene. It it's artistic bias, it's, like yeah, it's a director's decision, but it just didn't really fit in my opinion but also the Dementors attacked Harry in a way they normally don't like they grabbed him and shoved him up against a wall yeah like he was a trying to take his lunch
1: worked. money or something like that yeah
0: and I see this a lot throughout the whole movie and really the series as a whole in the movies you're seeing the magic work in ways that it doesn't actually work in the fantasy series the book series
1: yeah in the canon
0: and so it just it frustrates me and I'll mention it later because I got real mad about halfway (laughs) through this movie. Yeah. But it's just frustrating because if you know the books if you love the books you expect things to behave the way they do in the books. Yeah
1: I have a basic education of the books so like I feel like that's why I still don't get as frustrated about it as you do because it's just like I've I've read it but at the same time I'm like not heard about it because i As somebody who's more of a movie guy myself, obviously, like, I know that it's not going to be a perfect adaptation as well. Having been a gamer, I've seen a lot of things get translated poorly to movies, so...
0: It's more that things are behaving the way they're not supposed to, and that's frustrating. It's not that I'm expecting a fully faithful adaptation. It's just, it doesn't work that way. Right. And... Speaking of the Dementor scene, this is our first time really seeing Mrs. Fig in the movies. Like, you don't see her at all until movie five. I, I
1: immediately mentioned that to you. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I think that's Mrs. Fig, but I wouldn't know because all the scenes that she's in in the books are not in existence. They got cut. Yeah, in the movies.
0: And like you said, we miss a funny scene of her yelling at Mundagus Fletcher. Yeah. And when Harry finally makes it back to the house, that whole scene is just sort of mixed up in how they discover Dudley and he only gets one letter instead of the peck of owls, flock of owls. Yeah. And for some reason the letter is talking to him instead of him reading the letter. It's it's not not a heller what's happening. And Petunia's sort of weird drop of knowledge isn't there. isn't there, so yeah. we don't know that she's got some sort of Knowledge base for some parts of the Wizarding World. And you lose a
1: step of Dumbledore proving that, like, he's in control of everything going around to Harry and he and doesn't even a realize it. That's a big point. Yeah.
0: That's a big point to drop out yeah. just because you don't want to put it in or whatever. Yeah. And for some reason in the movie, they were trying to take Dudley off for medical attention. Like, they stuck him in the back of the car with a hoodie over his face. It
1: wasn't a hoodie, it was a towel over was it? his head. okay. Yeah.
0: He had something covering his face. And Because the other letters haven't arrived, when Harry finally is getting whisked off to 12 Grimmauld Place...
1: he's even more confused. Like, what the hell is going on? He's so confused. He
0: hasn't tried to send Hedwig off to get answers. He's not clear about the fact that he has a hearing. And Kingsley Shacklebolt has to tell him that. Yeah. And so, like I said, small things changing means things further along in the movie have to be changed.
1: Right. And it being like big things that are actually being changed in the movie. Yeah. From the book adaptation.
0: And for some reason there's no Fidelius charm on 12 Grimmauld Place.
1: Yeah he just taps his stick and his walking stick and all of a sudden it's there.
0: I didn't even know you could use a walking stick for magic.
1: Well, I guess it would kind of work the same way, like Harry's umbrella. How it has. I the mean, as long as wand his wand
0: would be in there, but I don't think Moody's wand is in his walking stick. And then Harry's overhearing the meeting, but he's supposed to get invited to ask questions later on. And so, for some reason, just all this information coming from an open door. Yeah. Oh, I said I like the creepy feel of the house. It's very fitting for the way it is supposed to be in the
1: book. I feel like the book made it creepier than what it seemed in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, just, like, a tad.
0: I think maybe with, like, the troll leg and then the screaming picture. Well, and, and you
1: don't see, like, all the previous house elves' heads. heads. On, like, like I feel like that would be a creepy thing to see. And then I the think... same question is, it like, are they, like, the pangs, are they alive? Like, do they move their faces? Like...
0: No, they don't. They just, That'd be just... real gross. Yeah,
1: that's what I'm saying. Like, it could be creepier on a whole other level.
0: But That's not how it is in the, in the book.
1: book. But it, like, even when the twins apparate, like, Harry's been there for, like, ten seconds. Whereas, like, in the book, he's been, like, chewing out Harry and her arm. Ron and and Hermione for, like, minutes, you know?
0: Yeah. It's just everything sort of crunched in a little bit to try to make it fit into a decent time slot and not be really long. Which I can understand. The book is really effing long. You don't say. Mm. Then they try to eavesdrop. With the extendable ears, I like the part where Crookshanks tries to play with it, because if a cat saw that, they would try to play with it. 100%. But they can hear through the extendable ear, whereas in the book, the door is imperturbable, so they wouldn't have been able to hear anything. Right. And we miss the funny scene where Jenny's throwing dung bombs at the door to see if it's imperturbable.
1: Right. Which then shows how smart Jenny is to a whole nother level.
0: I mean, I think book five is where you really get the fact that she's not just Ron's little sister, like dorky little sister.
1: Yeah. You definitely get more of seeing like the Weasley's level of magic in this book, like period.
0: Well, especially Fred, George, and Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. And Hermione is supposed to be the one who explains to Harry about the paper and it's not supposed to be on the front page. Like that was the whole point. All of their condescension and talking down about Harry is supposed to be happening like in between lines on regular old articles Yeah. and it's supposed to be more passive aggressive than front page news. So everything's like not off enough to really make me angry at this point. It's just slightly off.
1: Yeah, you're missing a few characters and the scenes don't quite line up where they're supposed to be. Right.
0: You miss Lupin with the advance guard. You miss Bill coming back to England to be with his family. And you miss the part where Charlie's supposed to be trying to gain new wizards from foreign countries into the Order. Yeah. You kind of get Percy a little bit in later scenes, but you don't get the big impact of he's, like, abandoning his family and the fact that he's saying my allegiance is going to be to the ministry versus my family. Right. Which, F that guy, but...
1: He corrects himself eventually, but leading into all of it, it, he's kind of a jerk.
0: Well, I mean, the thing with Percy is actually kind of a big deal that they're cutting on. It kind of leaves a big plot hole Not just for other parts of the series, but also for this one in particular, because he's got this sort of anger towards Harry that is unexplained in the movie. Right. And again, in this one, like in other movies, Neville's kind of Dobby's stand-in, because Dobby doesn't show up in this one. So later on, we get a lot of him playing that role.
1: Yeah, it was kind of a bummer that again, Dobby is just non existent.
0: I'm glad they included Creature because he's very important later on.
1: But even when he's even later on in the movie, he's not important. Like, he's more or less non existent again
0: okay he's very important for later books yes and so they originally when they were making this movie were cutting creature altogether, and jk rowling came out and said you can't do that i can't tell you why but you can't do that yeah so they included him in a couple of scenes of course we don't get them cleaning the house and everything because basically harry immediately has the hearing right and Like,
1: immediately. Yeah, yeah. it's
0: like the next day. And while it's funny to see Mr. Weasley get all confused on muggle things, he's supposed to have a better understanding of the underground than he does in the movie.
1: Yeah, and then, like, dare we go into the visitor entrance of the Ministry of Magic was just...
0: It's a little off. It's supposed to be more decrepit, and they didn't the do neighborhood the magic. whole neighborhood's supposed to look like
1: it's just beat up and destroyed. And they then... didn't
0: do the magic code into the box yeah. and all it that. It didn't
1: print their name badges. They didn't have to check in their wands, add security, any of that stuff.
0: Yeah, and instead of going all the way to Arthur's office and having Perkins tell him about the change of time for the hearing, it's, again, Kingsley stepping into someone else's role and telling him on the lift and as soon as they get down to level nine you've got Malfoy meeting with the minister and that's supposed to happen
1: after after. yeah yeah so
0: I think they were just trying to not have to include that same hallway twice in the movie
1: I think realistically what they were doing was adding another layer of wow the the minister has gone off the deep end
0: but that could have been said With it happening afterwards.
1: Yeah, but... Setting the tone for the actual court case situation first. Like, it just being like, we already knew the minister had lost his rocks. Like, he's just not there brain-wise. But, like, it just set it to, like, wow, he's even meeting with Lucius now? Like, it's he's really starting to be that bad guy. Like, they really set up that tone of the minister is bad in every way, shape, or form. He's
0: really corrupt. Yeah. And then they have the court scene. And I said that it's slightly different, but it's not different enough to be, like, upsetting.
1: It really wasn't. It was, there were some differences, but again, it wasn't anything that was, like, writing about.
0: They really didn't ask about the Patronus and, like, that's supposed to be a bigger deal. And just a few things here and there, but it's not big enough to really complain about. Right. But then, right after that, cut straight out of the ministry onto the train. Despite the fact that the hearing was the 12th of August. Yeah. So we miss where they're again cleaning the house, and we miss sort of Sirius's mood swing where he's really happy right after, but then he goes down as because he realizes, they get closer yeah, to yeah, going back like to realizes he's school. going back
1: to Hogwarts. Yeah.
0: And you miss a lot of the interpersonal stuff. And again, the movie can't last for six hours, so I kind of understand it. But you also miss everything about Hermione and Ron being prefects.
1: It didn't even exist. In the whole movie. I, for that matter, yeah. Like, they they let the twins get away with all that crap inside the, the common room. Like, it's just
0: all the scenes where they're doing their prefect's duties were cut and Ron didn't get his new broom for being a prefect. And so we never see a Quidditch scene at all in yeah. the whole movie, which is frustrating.
1: Because it's very important with it. Like, obviously in the movies, like do you, they don't even know Weasley is my king if you have only watched the movie. Like, right. it, it doesn't exist. So I don't know. Honestly, it was that was the most exciting part, I think, about this book for me is because it enlightened me as to what Weasley is our king Was all about.
0: And you've got the quidditch leading into fights, which causes Umbridge to come down harder and have to create new decrees because she's seeing gaps in her authoritarian regime and the control she has. And then during a match, that's supposed to be cover for Harry, Hermione, and Hagrid having that discussion about Grop. Later on. whereas
1: in the movie ron is with them
0: yeah and that's not supposed to be the case and like small things at the beginning are adding up very quickly to big things later on yeah. because you took it out in the beginning so you can't explain later why on. it's happening in the end yeah and what really irritates me about the beginning yeah is sirius goes with them to get on the hogwarts express and for some reason
1: god that scene was
0: awful he cuts into a room that I don't even know what it would be. And he transforms. First of all, why is he wearing a fur coat? Right. Because if he had transformed from a dog into a human, I don't know all about guy, But either he should have clothes with him or based off of what we've seen with Pettigrew in 3, he should be naked. So... I don't like the weird fur coat thing. And like that whole thing was weird because he's taking over some of the stuff Moody was supposed to do during those scenes we missed happening in August. So I didn't like that. It I think it's weird if Sirius is the one to give Harry that photo of the old order. I think Sirius would have a better connection to the fact that both he and Harry have lost so much. Right. And that Harry wouldn't enjoy seeing that. I can agree with that. I think it doesn't quite do serious justice. My note says, what the F is that coat?
1: (laughs) I didn't notice the coat, but it makes a lot of sense.
0: And then for some reason, Harry sees Voldemort as a parent trying to escort their child onto the Hogwarts Express, so he's seeing things during the day. And we miss meeting Luna, which is frustrating, because like I explained to you last night, Luna is my second favorite character.
1: She pretty much just gets dropped in after the train ride, like, out of the blue, like, and here's Luna! Right, right. Like, out and, of the blue. And And then Neville doesn't see the Thestrals, Thestrals. which it's like, yeah, he does. He knows He's them. supposed to
0: see these. Yeah. What are you talking about? Right.
1: That was really weird.
0: But I think the whole reason for that setup with the Thestrals and the carriage is supposed to be about the golden and silver trios kind of pairing up so that you can see that... They're supposed to be a group. Yeah. And they're supposed to be a group throughout the whole of the movie. And it's supposed to be like, you look at them and you're like, yeah, this makes sense. Yeah. And you need that setup at the beginning of the movie because they haven't really shown them as a, like, connecting in the other movies as much.
1: That's true. Like, they're mutual friends, but that's like... And acquaintances and stuff like that. So
0: it makes them more of a, like, iconic group at that point but another weird thing was harry had this confrontation with draco at hogsmeade station which didn't happen in the book and i think it was only really put there so that later on you realize not only do people who hate him feel this way but we see seamus later also call harry crazy yeah and so we know that even people who liked harry before are feeling the same way
1: and you kind of don't get the sentiment, because he is also supposed to be a prefect for the Slytherin house. Oh, yeah, you missed that too? That Harry can't really like attack him right then. Realistically, right. Like, in the movie, he could have because he wasn't the prefect. They
0: were on the same level.
1: And then, B, let's get on the level of who was the prefects then, because it wasn't any of the people we saw, which is crazy.
0: I think it would be they're all still prefects, but we never see it in the movie is the correct answer there. Hmm. But another quick thing is, no one changed into their robes before they got on the carriage. Right. And then suddenly they were all in their robes. They were very
1: the stylish, magi or like well, I guess students. Like they weren't even dressed in appropriate attire at all.
0: Yeah, that was weird. I still, even if they got it wrong, I still like Luna. She is still one of my favorite characters.
1: And we'll get into my theories on Luna, which I know you didn't want to talk about, but like later.
0: We can talk about it. I just think you're wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We also get Nigel again and no creepy brothers for some reason. That's a mistake. Yeah. And again, as always, mixed classes, which aren't a thing at Hogwarts. It's two houses, not four. Right. And the Weasley Wizard Wheezes is only introduced after Harry's detention. You don't see it when you're supposed to, which is the last book, actually. So... That's just a small mistake. Yeah. And like you said, Hermione and Ron don't stop Fred and George from testing out on first years in (laughs) Uh, the common room. They just let him do whatever.
1: Yeah, but then you also later on see like a more brotherly side of Fred and George with like the kids that are like taking the stuff. They're like, oh, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry. Like, we'll fix it. And it's like, yeah, you better. You screwed him up. Yeah. (laughs) Like, come on now.
0: And like I said, you miss Ron trying to get on the Quidditch team. But in that scene, you also note that Ron and Hermione noticed Harry's injury.
1: Like, immediately.
0: Right after the detention. And it's like, that is not at all correct. It
1: it wasn't even supposed to be, like, scarred to that level. Like, to a noticeable level until at least his third detention is, if I remember correctly in the book. Like... It's
0: It's close to the end of his week of detention when Ron notices, because that's when Harry finds out about Ron trying to get on the Quidditch team. Right. Oh, also, Harry ends up meeting the Thestrals pretty quickly. With Luna. And it's supposed to be in a class after Hagrid gets back. Right. And that's not supposed to happen until there's snow on the ground because that's why Umbridge goes out to meet Hagrid in the middle of the night. Yeah, is Because she sees, she sees, the, sees the, the footprints in the in snow. The snow. Yeah, yeah, so that's all messed up. Though I like Luna and I'm never gonna disagree with putting her in scenes. So. And
1: this is where my theory starts to come into play a little bit. It's like Luna's conveniently always there for private time with Harry, which is a little strange.
0: You think there's some weird like romantic
1: attraction i will agree that there is a relationship building but it may not have to be romantic with with you on that i know last night i was stubborn about it but like last
0: night you were saying that there was more romance in this movie between luna and harry than there was cho and harry except for the kissing but that,
1: that's 100% a fact if you're watching the movie. Like, there is so much more relationship building between Luna and Harry than there is between Cho and Harry in this book. Or, but, or in the movie, I should say.
0: But I think that is just friendship building and not romance building. Yeah. So we disagree on that front. I also know that they're not supposed to be a couple.
1: They're, well, duh, they're not supposed to be a couple. I could have already told you that. I read the book. But they bond on so many similar things. That there's, like, that connection that immediately allows them to be friends or they, a they, friendship or relationship in that sense.
0: They bond over things the way friends do?
1: To another level, though. It's mm. it's it's to another level, in my opinion, than it w- would have been, but... Uh, By no means am I like I ship Luna and Harry or some nonsense like that because that would be super weird. I I would not like that at all. And I don't think that I just I think that if you watched the movie and you hadn't read the book, you would think that there's probably more going on between Luna and Harry than there is between joe and harry in that if you exclude
0: the scene around christmas where they kiss which makes
1: no sense because you don't really see anything other than like yeah yeah, like there's nothing there it was just like you you had maybe one or two scenes where it was like oh it's harry and and that's it and you're like where was that even founded on right
0: I will say, though, I like the Thestral scene because you get to see why Luna is in Ravenclaw. She is dropping all these truth bombs on Harry that...
1: She's super smart.
0: Right. And I think that's important to understand Luna as a character. It's like, even if you think she's weird or loony, she's still very smart. Yeah. There's a reason she's in Ravenclaw.
1: She might be calling things weird strange names that don't make any sense but those are things that exist and that's more knowledge than most of her fellow students even have about those things. Or
0: they might not exist but she believes in them until there's proof otherwise.
1: Yeah. So
0: and the confrontation between Umbridge and McGonagall just off the Great Hall is off. It's not right. Like I understand that they're trying to make a point and make it short and not build up their hate over time the way it's supposed to, because they just don't have the time to develop everything all the way.
1: But boy, does it get tense between those two in the book. Holy crap.
0: Right. And this is around the time when the letter from Percy to Ron should have happened and that didn't happen. Right. And then all of a sudden Umbridge becomes the high inquisitor of Hogwarts. Uh-huh. And decrees start dropping and they don't stop dropping
1: and can't stop won't stop
0: it just everything from there happens so fast and everything's just quick and I get too I get, quick I get what they're trying to do it's just it's supposed to be tension building over time and that and then it
1: explodes and it's not doing that it's just just everything, tension. Yeah. everything
0: all at once yeah So, yeah, the timeline's weird with that. And like you said, we're missing a lot of the scenes that create that romantic dynamic between Harry and Cho.
1: And then, like, the building of the Dumbledore army scene was all sorts of screwed up, like, to an extent. Like, Hogshead is supposed to be bigger than what it is in this There's supposed to be more people there. like It's not supposed to be just them and the barkeep, which is what it looks like.
0: And for some reason, when they're coming back is when they're getting caught by umbridge like she overhears them talking on the way back right that's so dumb yeah and the scene before that before they go to hogshead that causes hermione to try to get harry to be a teacher is suddenly they have a wizard wireless set in the common room which they don't mention like that's not even a thing until book six the wizard wireless network so i'm not a fan of that And it's like Fudge speaking about how you've got disappearances. And then Sirius talks about how the disappearances are exactly how it started last time. And that leads into The Hog's Head.
1: It's just there's a lot of stuff that's out of place.
0: Right. And like the timing's off or things are slightly different. Magic's different. And I think the magic being different is what upsets me more than... The timeline, things like that. Like, you're doing it for continuity's sake for the movie and to keep things moving and well-paced. And I can understand that. I cannot fathom and understand when you change the magic. Yeah. And like I said earlier, you've got Neville playing Dobby's role in finding the room of requirement. Yeah. Which, I mean, I like Neville. He is literally my favorite character. So... I love seeing scenes with Neville. It's just wrong.
1: And then the room requirements, like literally the way it's built, is completely incorrect. Right. Like there's no books on the walls full of spells. There's no pillows on the ground for them to land there on. There
0: aren't dark detectors on the shelves right. and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And for some reason, I put Levy Corpus in a DA meeting WTF because this is a spell that does not appear at all until book 6. And even then it's Harry learns it, Ron learns it. We don't see anyone else use it at all in book 6. So that just pissed me off. <laughs> like I think at that point I was like I can't keep writing notes. I'm just so freaking angry.
1: Yeah, I'm just shocked that J.K. Rowling, I know that she wasn't like the final approval on the script, but like she was brought in to fact check a lot of this stuff and she just allowed this crap happen. And it was kind of a shock that she let it I think it's because
0: her. in the first draft that they probably sent off for her to look at and go through, she had a giant correction to make when it came to them not including Creature. Yeah. And that probably sidetracked from a lot of the smaller things, which I get.
1: But even in the movie Creature, it was barely even there.
0: He just needed to exist in this one, if I'm being honest. <laughs> he needed to exist in this one to do things in the later ones. Yeah. And that's all I can really say. The last thing I wrote before I quit taking notes is that Mr. Weasley's attack, for some reason, happened in the movie in the actual Department of Mysteries, in the actual area that Harry ends up going into later. And that is not at all.
1: He's supposed to be outside the Department of Mysteries. He's supposed to be
0: in the hallway of level nine, yeah. yeah. So it's just like, it would have been easier just to film it in that hallway. Why are you doing it there? Yeah. And I know it's so there's more of a history of Harry seeing into the it's department. more progression into it, yeah. And I get that, but at the same time, it's like, it would have been easier. Your job would have been literally easier just to do it the way it is in the books.
1: Yeah. Like, all the DA scenes, like, where they have Filch, like catching onto them like right away.
0: Yeah, that was so stupid. It was
1: so dumb. That's and not how that's supposed to work. I however I do love the scene where they left him coffee and candies outside to yep. wait all night while they just crept around the other side of the room of requirement, out the other. And then other he the busts
0: out and boils. Yeah. That was nice. I yeah. like that. And I I kind of like the role that Fred and George are playing there. Yeah. Because they're still being tricksters, but at the same time, they are developing their business. Yeah. And they're doing well at it. And there's a moment that you see later on after one of the group detentions where one of the younger students is crying from the injuries from the detentions. Yeah. And you see Friend George being. Actual like big brothers big brothers, and
1: which they toned. never are to run,
0: <laughs> and they're like, look, it's already fading, and it'll yeah. heal and in the books, they learn about something that helps deal with it, so I think that could have been used there, but it wasn't, but it just friend George are like my third or fourth favorite somewhere in there, oof.
1: do you want the list real quick? not really, because there's probably somebody on there that I don't know what who's number one Neville. Okay. Then Luna.
0: Then Luna. And then either Friend George are number three or the Marauders are number three and I'll stop there. So they're pretty high up on my list but in this movie I think you get to see them in a better light than just oh they're troublemakers.
1: Yeah. You definitely see them more as like being a part of something for good instead of just for chaos because that's like what they predominantly wanted to cause in the previous books. And you definitely see their softer side as well. But dare we say the seeing off Fred and George scene was, like, it it was great in the movie. But it was also wrong. Completely inaccurate in the book, like, in comparison. Like, just not even, not even close they osseous spelled their brooms to escape firstly but
0: you didn't have them get them taken away because the quidditch scene didn't happen so they had to just take their brooms
1: and the fireworks happened and they didn't know who it was at that point in time they didn't know it was the weasleys they just knew that it had happened
0: also they had done that
1: long before the owls happened
0: right and so like the timeline again is wrong yeah
1: because they left after turning sections of the castle into a swamp right like right. somewhere along those lines
0: they turned part of the castle into a swamp it's was it the charms corridor i believe so yeah yeah oh something i forgot to mention i don't know how i forgot to mention it is during christmas there are two things that happened that i forgot to mention one is we don't see St. Mungo's Christmas on the Close Ward. You don't get that whole part where they Harry and Neville's, Hermione and yeah. Ron see Neville's parents and yeah. everything they've gone through, which is, like, it's a hard scene to read, but it's also kind of necessary.
1: Well, you don't know that Neville really knows Bellatrix at that point. Like, you kind mm-hmm. of do, I guess, in the movie because you have the pensive scene with Dumbledore in the previous movie, but
0: it's because you get him talking to harry in the room of requirement before christmas about it that you even know that neville knows who attacked his parents and the later news article about them getting released neville has a reaction at the table but like that's about it yeah so you don't like, it's a lesser emotional impact when he later sees her at the Room of Requirement, yeah. or Department uh, Mysteries. of Mysteries. Yeah. It's all a mystery to me. And then also at Christmas, when Harry and Sirius are having that talk at the tapestry of the whole family and all of that, that was supposed to happen in August, but because they cut all of August, they moved it to Christmas. Right. Which is dumb, but at least it's in the movie somewhere.
1: Right. Right. It's an important scene too, so like it's just crazy that it took that long to get there, right. like it was more or less going like all the people that weren't bad in our family had been disowned, off. yeah,
0: but going back towards the end where <laughs> the owls were taking place, you never got to see all the people who were supposed to be giving the owls.
1: They don't even exist.
0: It's just umbrage, yeah, for some reason.
1: And she's, like, straight up authoritarian style, just standing over everybody and, like, look, you know, take your test or else, Yeah. you know, like, type of attitude. It's
0: more threatening in the movie. Yeah. And so that was weird. And you miss all the things that people do to defy her. Yeah, And the way they're kind of, like, slightly fighting back, but not in such a way where she can punish them. Right. And, like, the one I'm thinking of is when McGonagall tells Peeves that the chandelier unscrews the other way. Yeah. Uh, I like that one a lot.
1: And then you also gotta think of, like, the scene where Harry's trying to make contact with Sirius after he has that dream. Right, yeah. And he doesn't even get into the flu network. Like, Umbridge comes barging in the second it even happens. And you don't know why she would even know that somebody was in her office because you don't have the Niffler scenes, which are hilarious.
0: And, like, it's so much small stuff, but it adds up. And you do see the Inquisitorial squad, and you see them kind of manhandling everyone, but you don't have all of this, like, background to make it an emotional, like, thing.
1: Yeah, it's almost like you don't even care that they're there doing what they're doing because it's like, well, we don't really have a history of the things they've done. They're just... the inquisitorial squad, and that's it.
0: But you still get Hermione taking Umbridge and Harry through the forest. You kind of miss out on parts of the centaurs there.
1: Yeah, you really do. So, like, the centaurs, like, you see them in the distance, and then they appear. Technically, they're supposed to take control of her before Grop even shows up. Right. But instead, Grop picks her up, like... of the blue it's like what
0: he was a lot cuter in the movie than i think he would have been in the book i think he was more terrible i definitely pictured
1: him different looking in the book than i did in the movie like he looked like a harmless child that was just oversized
0: right yeah well and because of the preconceived notions about giants people assume that he's stupid or have a lesser intelligence than humans
1: yeah yeah, it that was a weird scene because, like, there's no Hermes, like, for the name or anything like that or any of, like, that connection between Hermione and Grop. It just seemed They
0: weird. did have the weird, like, bicycle handle with the little bell that on it. That was a cute
1: scene, but that was with Hagrid originally, so. Like,
0: yeah, Hagrid was there, but it was between Hermione and Grop.
1: Yeah, but, like, you don't really see that same level of connection that you did in the book right. between the two of them. Like, he doesn't ask about where Hagrid is or anything like that. He just sets her down after getting shot with, like, one arrow in the arm. It's like, he's a giant. He would clobber those centaurs, let's be serious.
0: He wouldn't even feel the one arrow. Let's let's just get that straight. Yeah.
1: But, oh, I don't know. It's just the scene in the Department of Mysteries, like, all the scenes in Department of Mysteries were all wrong. wrong. Every wrong. single one of them. So, if you read the book, understand that the movie is completely awful And if you watch the movie first, understand that the book is so much better. (laughs) There's just more detail and there's more mystery. We'll call it what it is. There's more mystery.
0: And, like, it kind of also teaches you about the basis for magic because the room with all the hourglasses, that's time. Like, the mystery of time and how time works and magic relating to time. And then you've got the part with the... Brains. Brains, which are their whole other mystery. And then you've got the part with the butterfly turning into... A caterpillar or whatever was happening there yeah and so i just think you're missing a lot of world building
1: yeah it was it was weird like even watching that scene i was just like this is great it's very actiony but at the same time i'm like this is awful because it's not accurate at all yeah. like the entire time i'm sitting there i'm like me great things that are missing right now ron being attacked by one of the brains like i think that's hilarious they have suction cups and all that stuff and and, you know, you don't see anybody really being beat up until they're all being held hostage somehow. And then
0: they've all got cuts and stuff, but that's yeah. about as far as it goes. Right. And it's supposed to be darker and more serious than that. And they so take that away. So you're saying more serious black? Yes. Yeah. And even the part with all the orbs with the prophecies looked wrong.
1: Yeah.
0: And, like, even though it's not factually inaccurate, it just, it wasn't the way I expected based off the description.
1: And Harry never hears the prophecy in the book until, right. well, you know, he's told by Dumbledore. Because he's like, it's broken, I guess I'll never hear And Dumbledore's like, wrong! I got a memory for you. Yeah. Uh, it's just... The inaccuracies at the end of the movie, like, it's still good. Again, if if you haven't read the book, the movie is going to blow you away. It's going to be super cool. You're going to enjoy it. But if you've read the book, understand that there's going to be some disappointment.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And, like, a couple of my coworkers have had discussions with me about it who haven't read the books but I've seen the movies at work and I'm like, listen, you need to read the books. And it's crazy for me to say that because I'm not a book person yeah, by any means. But it's just, there's so much stuff that's just MIA and I'm hoping it doesn't end that way because like if the ending of the book isn't accurate to the movie, I'm going to lose my mind. You mean mm. if the
0: movie is inaccurate to the book? Yes. Yeah.
1: So drive me crazy.
0: And like the room with the dais is incorrect and that whole fight is incorrect and
1: yeah there's all sorts of magic being used without words and and for that matter like just the way the fight scenes break down and all that stuff and Dumbledore doesn't appear until after that which is nonsense because he has already appeared in the department of mysteries in the book and like lassoed up everybody
0: I do think there is one part of that that I like and I will always enjoy And it's the part where after Sirius has fallen through the veil and Remus grabs Harry around the chest to pull him back from diving into it. And you get this moment where there's no sound and you just see Harry screaming. I think that's done well cinematically. Of course, at the time of filming and editing, there was a reason that they did that. And from what I remember from back then, 20 or 2006, 2007, was they cut the sound right there because his voice and his yell was too heartbreaking and they need to be able to get the emotions right for the rest of the movie and just they wouldn't be able to get back on track after that if they kept the sound in there
1: it definitely gets the point across even without it so
0: but it's it's done really well so like because just watching that part i want to cry but also i cried when i read that part of the book so i was already emotionally invested in that part yeah and then harry's got his fight with bellatrix and that whole thing is messed up
1: yeah they're supposed to be running around the statues trying to shoot spells at each other instead of just being like face to face
0: you're just completely missing that because you missed it when harry went to the ministry originally so if the statues weren't there then they can't be there now
1: Yeah. The statues were there. They just weren't the same as they are in the book and they weren't utilized at all.
0: They also do Harry's possession weird, which I can see why they had to do it that way because you don't have Harry's sort of internal struggle and dialogue the way you do with the book. And so they had to find a way to portray it and that's how they did it.
1: I think in the movie they portrayed it the best that they could considering they left all that crap out in the beginning and throughout the book, for for that matter, throughout the whole movie. Yeah,
0: so I think they did a good job. It's just inaccurate. Yeah. And then you miss Harry getting a port key straight into Dumbledore's office and and he's locked in there and you miss that big like temper tantrum that he throws
1: well you still get Dumbledore having the conversation with him you just miss all the frustrations and anger that like really kind of showing off the short trigger that he has with his PTSD and all that stuff Yeah.
0: yeah and you miss the part where the portraits react to Harry being Yeah. All over the place. And you miss Dumbledore's conversation about your life has been this way and this year has been this way because of these things. And that's an important conversation that I kind of couldn't believe that they dropped out because
1: Harry's life has pretty much been controlled and he doesn't even realize it.
0: And it's relevant to the rest of the series. So that getting dropped I think is a big mistake. I agree. And I liked the part where Harry's wandering on his own because he doesn't want to be down at the feast because that's very true to the book. Also, you get another scene with Luna in it, and I love Luna. And again, she's dropping truth bombs on him. Yeah. And I wish he just had had that conversation with Nearly Headless Nick. Yeah. Because I feel like that's an important thing that'll get him through the summer and get him back on track with where... He uh, needs to be he emotional. he really needs to be emotionally, so right, but I think that, like I said, I think that they did a good job with what they could do based off the things they kept out
1: and I think that's kind of the moral of the story of the movies as a whole, like the things that they leave out that are important, they managed to avoid somehow causing problems by not having them to a point, yeah,
0: it to a degree, I think you'll find some struggles in the next two movies. Because of things they kept out in this movie. But they did the best they could with what they decided to leave out. Again, though, it will never compare, in my opinion, to the books. Because you're missing so much world building and interpersonal relationship stuff. Yeah. There are continuity problems, like Nigel, the Creevies, stuff like that. But it's not enough to really frustrate me and think, oh, well, that's obviously why it's worse. It doesn't envelop you the way that the books do. Right. And so I think that's the reason they'll never compare to each other
1: yeah and in fairness they really shouldn't be compared obviously you had one person writing everything in one series and throughout the movies there's been multiple directors so in turn like the artistic flow of things is always going to be different
0: well and you've got completely different teams on doing like the effects and different teams doing hair makeup different teams doing each tiny part that makes up the movies. whereas in
1: the book it's jk rowling doing all those things more or less
0: well, she's got editing and other teams. We yeah. have right. She's basically the source of all the material, all right. the canon. Yeah. At least in the books. Yeah. She's not the source for all the canon outside the books. Thank goodness. If it's not in the book, it's not canon. Yeah. It are. But I'm glad that the movie kind of ends on a little bit of a lighter note with Harry telling the golden trio and the silver trio that we have something to fight for and like we can do this we'll get through this basically yeah
1: together we're going to be able to handle this yeah
0: we do miss them riding the train back and then them having that conversation with the dursleys but again those are sort of minor things in the scheme of things yeah
1: that's true they are not the most important scenes in the entire world yeah
0: I'm excited for you to read the beginning of book six because I think that is my favorite opening chapter in all the Harry Potter books. Half-blood Prince? Yeah. Okay. So if you don't like it, you can GTFO or I'll just get over it, but...
1: So say, sorry guys, <laughs> the podcast will be ending and divorce is happening because I don't like the book. I don't know. No. Yeah.
0: No, I just... <laughs> I love that first chapter so much. I really hope you like it.
1: Yeah, I'm going to laugh if I like read it half asleep in the middle of, like coming home and you're going to be like, how dare you do this to this? Realistically, I will probably read it today. Yeah, so, I hope
0: so. It will be good, I think. Yeah,
1: but I guess that leaves us off on us listening to us rant about uh, how much we hate the movie versus the book for this week. <laughs>
0: We'll have another one later this month, I'm sure. Yeah. But make sure you guys check out all the social media stuff. Should be linked in the show notes. And thank you for putting up with my very cold voice. Cold infected voice.
1: Yeah. And we'll catch you next week, guys, for a sports episode. Bye, guys.
0: Bye.